Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Also, as you're listening to one of our early podcasts, may I suggest you skip to at least episode 12, where I guarantee it gets much better. Here we go, recording. Hello and welcome to the Knowledge is Powder, the Ski Podcast. I am Jim Duncombe and I'm joined, as always, by Ian Martin from Skipedia. This week, our guest is the director of the online ski travel agency, If You Ski, Dave Froome. Welcome, Dave. Hello there. Uh, in this edition, we're going to be looking at the latest ski news, including how the collapse of Monarch could affect your ski holiday. We'll also be asking the question, are all ski resorts basically the same? Um, busting some myths about cake, finding out if your boot needs a glove and chatting to our guests about selling ski holidays. Uh, I want to start with a quick, a really important question. When was your last ski holiday? Who's, who, how long ago? How many days was it since you last skied? I'd have to... Um... Work that one out, but I wasn't. I haven't been out in the slopes since uh, the middle of March. Seventeenth of March was my last day on snow, so a long time ago. That's two hundred and nine days ago. That Ian, <laughs> right? Good maths. Yeah, really quick, eh? Really quick. Uh, mine was one hundred and eighty-seven days. All right, Dave. Um, mine was the twenty-ninth of March. Um, oh, hang on. Let me just work that out. That's 198 days. 198. It's good that we're all spring skiers, though. All spring skiers. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Can't beat Very it. Cool. Okay, right. Um, let's get going with the news. It's not a very newsy jingle, but I picked it anyway. I like it. Thanks. <laughs> um, this month saw the collapse of the UK's biggest airline, Moloch, affecting thousands of people on holiday or with holidays booked. This is important for skiers because over the last 15 years, the airline has worked really hard to become one of the biggest suppliers of flights for many of the UK's ski tour operators, leaving many people wondering about their holiday. Um, Ian, how big are they a player in the ski industry? Yeah, I mean, they definitely uh, were very large. I mean, you only got to look at the fact that uh, two of the UK's largest uh, holiday operators, Crystal and Ingham's, were both using Monarch. So that's uh, quite a big impact that... Uh, them going out of business uh, has had although resolve very quickly yeah dave should people be worried if they've got a package holiday booked with and they know there's a monarch flight or was in a monarch short flight? absolutely not um if you've got a package holiday booked with any uh atoll protected tour operator um then if uh, if your airline happens to do what monarch have done and goes pop um, the tour operator is responsible for sourcing an alternative um, an alternative route for you. And we've had a few, well, quite a few bookings affected. Um, and every single booking within a couple of weeks of this happening has um, been rerouted. Um, and most people will be completely unaffected. In a lot of cases, 
So other airlines, Jet2, EasyJet have stepped in, taken on the exact monarch slots. So even their flight times are uh, are exactly what they otherwise would have been. So the only um, the only way anyone's been affected is the colour of the paint on the outside of the aircraft. That's quite important to some people. Yeah. Well, yeah, it does, it does make it For anyone who booked direct with the airline, I think they're possibly the losers. If you book through a tour operator, then yeah. Yeah, very much so. If you've if you've made a direct booking, then you're um, you're, you're in a different um, you're in a different situation. Um, but so yeah, if you if you've done it through a tour op, you uh, you'll be absolutely fine. Ian, um, from what you've seen, how have how have they been outwardly dealing with this? Have their have ski tour operators been really open about it, or have it been like a, a shady secret? Yeah, I think so. You can't really uh, hide behind it. But um, certainly, as as I mentioned with Crystal and Ingham's, without specifying who they've taken on uh, instead. They resolved it very quickly to kind of say uh, that they've replaced all the flights. And I think, um, you know, clearly other people have stepped into the into the breach for the same kind of route. So it's made it relatively straightforward to resolve. Well, I feel, I mean, I haven't got a holiday booked yet, but I feel happy that other people are, are going to be all right and be able to enjoy theirs. Um, Ian, anything in the news caught your eye this week? Uh, I guess a few things have uh, have caught my eye in, in different uh, places. <laughs> I did notice that uh, David Hasselhoff is uh, going to be appearing at the London Ski Show. Um, it, this is clearly very big news. I don't know whether it's <laughs> going to bring more people in or fewer people in. Uh, depends how you feel about the Hoff. Apparently, he's still relevant enough to uh, to pull people through the door. I don't know what you think. Is is he a draw? The chance to see the hot. I mean, some people might say it's a new low for the ski show. Um, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't it, that's, wouldn't that's make that's me very go. harsh, Jim. <laughs> You're a big fan. Have you got a poster on the wall of the hot? I I don't want to answer that question. Um, Fair enough. But uh, no, if I if I was if I was nearby and um, maybe slightly undecided as to whether I was going to go or not, and uh, I then found out that. That there was an option, a possibility of um, bumping into the Hoff. I, I think that would probably sway me, and that would that would get me to the door where uh, maybe other things might not. Well, there you go. Who needs to go and see uh, potential Olympic athletes when when David Hasselhoff will be exactly. appearing? Uh, there was another story that that caught my eye this week. So much so that I ended up uh, writing a blog post about it. I was just reviewing uh, AdWords for one of my clients. And you see the different search terms that people have plugged in. And I was surprised, I guess, to, uh, to see that someone had typed in uh, uh, looking for Val Chalet with Sex Dungeon. <laughs> now, to my knowledge, <laughs> and admittedly, my knowledge is relatively limited. There is no Val Chalet with Sex Dungeon. But I wondered whether you might know different, Jim. Um, I don't. Dave, Dave might be the person to answer. I, that, I have been. Uh, I've been selling ski holidays for um, for ten years now, um, and never been asked to uh, provide a sex dungeon. Um, so no, that's that's a new one on me as well. Um, so possibly there's a there's a gap in the market there for a kind of specialist uh, tour I, operator. I, I suppose it, it it could work. I'm not sure I'd put it on my website though. If nothing else, um, I've learned another great excuse to tell my wife. I was just looking at my client's uh, search terms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Dave, have you seen anything in the news? Ski-related news? Uh, yeah, I, I did actually. Um, on a uh, on a travel 
um, point of view. Um, I'm quite an enthusiastic train <laughs> traveller to the Alps, as, uh, as you know. Um, and there's a couple of pieces of train news that, that, that got me this week. Eurostar have um, discontinued their direct um, London to Lyon trains during the winter, which is a bit of a shame. Um, the, uh, the, it was a five and a half hour direct St Pancras to Lyon and then the train carried on to Marseille. Um, and I used that a couple of times in the last few years for um, getting to and from the Alps. Um, but I can understand why it's been discontinued because the, the two or three times I've used it, um, it has been deserted. Um, I think I had an entire carriage to myself coming back from Lyon last season at one point. Um, so whilst that's a shame, I'm not surprised. Um, and then the uh, on, on the complete opposite side, you can now get sleeper trains directly from um, from Germany all the way into um, to the major Austrian resorts, which is uh, w- which is a real bonus. Austrian railways um, are calling it the night jet, and it's a um, it's a sleeper train from Cologne all the way down through the Austrian um, Tyrol and goes via Munich and serves most of the major Austrian resorts. And haven't tried it yet. Um, but it looks like it's going to be. Um, it looks like it's going to be a, a really interesting experience. You can get um, deluxe sleepers with ensuite. You can have an ensuite shower and loo on a train. Believe it or not. There we go. Um, Ian, you still there? You falling asleep? Yeah. No, I'm. <laughs> I love travelling by train. I've done it a few times there, uh, out to the Alps, um, out to St Anton and Carantes uh, Valley as well. I was just wondering though, how do you get to Cologne? When it, it, I know it'd be an adventure. I think you go to Brussels on the Eurostar, and then you can. Uh, there's a direct train from um, Brussels to Cologne. Uh, I've done it. I've, 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 exactly I've done it myself. Yeah, yeah, um, and you can actually get to Cologne quite cheaply because um, German Rail do um, London special tickets, and you can you can do it for about sixty euros return if you get the right tickets and you book them early enough. Um, which will include the Eurostar and is often cheaper than booking the same Eurostar without any onward journey. Um, I don't know how how they do that. I don't know, but they do. You are listening to the Knowledge is Powder train podcast for train (laughs) podcasts. Good thing. I won't won't talk about trains anymore. Okay, and that was the news. Um, We are joined by Dave. You've heard him already, but um, let's um, give him a proper introduction. Um, Dave has worked in the ski industry for over 15 years. He's been a resort rep, a manager, worked for many big companies and is now uh, the director of If You Ski, one of the UK's oldest ski travel agents. Dave, thanks for joining us. Um, Absolutely. We've got a few questions for you. Um, I'd like to say, I just, we work together um, in ski sales. I was, we, uh, I was rubbish. Why, why are you so good at it? Um, why am I so good? Oh, <laughs> That's uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm all that good, to be honest. Um, for me, selling ski holidays is um, it's relatively easy compared with um, with a lot of other sales jobs because generally you're dealing with people who desperately want what you're selling um, and also desperately um, desperately need help doing it because it's such a difficult product. Um, so I, I think um, I think it's patience, maybe. Um, and patience and knowledge; those are probably the two uh, two key words. And I'm not saying that when when we worked together, uh, as you uh, as you admit, you weren't quite so um, quite so good. That doesn't mean that you're uh, impatient or not knowledgeable. But um, <laughs> uh, but 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 there you go. So those those would be my two secrets, I think: patience and knowledge. 
Ian, have you got any questions for um, a director of a ski travel agency? Uh, well, uh, if you ski um, has always been, as you say, a, a long-standing uh, player in the industry. And I remember when, um, back in the day, late 90s, there was a website called Complete Skier. And I think Complete Skier ended up becoming If You Ski, didn't it? Is that right? Um, I think you're probably right. However, uh, my, I've been involved in if, with If You Ski for only about five years now. Um, but I know there is uh, there is a lot more history to it before that. It was um, it was part of lastminute.com at one point, I believe. Um, yeah. And yeah, the complete skier, which no longer exists. I, I think you're right, Ian, but your um, your your knowledge of it is probably um, a little bit ahead of mine because, uh, yeah, I've um, I, I kind of I got involved in it about five years ago or so. Yeah, well, I think essentially it was, you know, the first ski website, possibly along with snowforecast.com. Yeah. I'm interested, Dave. Um, all ski travel agencies, they seem to have really limited ability for booking directly online. Do you think it's always going to be that way, that essentially you will have to speak to someone to book a ski holiday? Or is it going to go further? Are we going to be able to do it all online? The um the the yeah I I I, re I look forward to the day when um all I have to do is talk to a customer and, yeah turn on turn on my computer and just uh, look at how many bookings came in overnight um but realistically the 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 only reason that uh, that I'm in business um is because people want to talk to someone because ski booking a ski holiday is it's quite a tricky thing it's quite daunting for a lot of people. Um, I think people, a lot of people want guidance on it um, and they come to us for that. And uh, not to mention the, uh, the technical side of um, trying for, for us to be able to do online booking for multiple, uh, sorry, multiple tour operators um, would just be absolutely mind boggling because every single tour operator has a different booking system, different back end, different front end. Um, and yeah, the, I, I'm not sure it would ever happen, to be honest. Um, but no, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice thought to just wake up in the morning and um, count count last night's bookings. That'd be lovely. But I, I don't think it's, I don't think we're ever going to get there. Ian, do you have any more questions for for David? Um, what's selling well at the moment? Um, what's selling well at the moment is probably what way sells well for me, which is um, Val Turen. Highest, um, highest, most snowshore resort in anywhere in Europe. Um, Val d'Isère always sells well. Um, the big popular Austrian resorts. So you've got Meyerhofen and St Anton, very, very popular. Um, and the last booking I did was actually to Morzine as well. So uh, that's that's not a high altitude resort, but it's a very popular short break destination because it's only an hour from Geneva. Thank you, Dave. Dave will be sticking around um, until the end of the show. Um, now it's time for a quick feature called Share Chair Chairlift Chat, um, where it's where we pretend that we've been skiing with each other for over a week, and we're at that point in the holiday where the silence in the lift has become awkward, and then someone breaks the silence with a ridiculous question or fact, such as this: Aren't all ski resorts basically the same? And my point is this. Um, they're all a bit close to the slopes, not close enough to the slopes. There's a selection of runs you might like, some you won't. There's always an Edelweiss or a Belcott piste, a mountain restaurant selling gold burgers and chips, a park, a cinema that no one goes to, an English pub or two, an infamous black run, pretentious families, a notorious if basically rubbish nightclub, 
a fondue place, a shop selling whistling wines. The list is absolutely endless. And I will argue that the most individual resort you can visit is actually Zermatt. And that isn't because of the Carvery Resort or the Matorn. Nope, it's because it's got a McDonald's. I mean, I mean, how different is the Francis Anton? Uh, yeah, if I was sitting on a chairlift with you uh, and we managed to get to that stage in a week and you, and you said <laughs> our ski resort's just the same, I'd be busy thinking, how am I going to avoid going on the next chairlift uh, with this guy? <laughs> That's a skill, uh, though. That is I'm a gonna, skill. I'm going to have trouble kind of agreeing with you on this because, no, you know, they're not the same. They're completely different. You know, Zermatt is definitely... Uh, uh, out on its own, but I don't think you know. Even um, I don't know. Val- if you just take the three valleys for example. You know, there's a big difference between uh, uh, I would say uh, Valterons and Meribel or Valterons uh, and and Courcheval. You know, culturally and uh, what the resort looks like. It might have all of those all of those bits and pieces that you listed. I don't know if there are any whistling marmots in Courcheval 1850. <clears throat> I don't think they sell really expensive ones. Really expensive ones. Um, but, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're very different. They all have uh, an identity. I, I think you're right, Ian. Um, I think, um, I think for, well, like you say, the, the Three Valleys is a great example because on one end you've got Val Turen, which is um, which is nothing but apartment blocks um, stacked full of self-catering and... Um, catered chalet style apartments um, and then on the on the opposite side you've got Meribel which is loads of lovely rustic looking individual chalets um, and Courchevel which is just nothing but five and six star um, of absurdly expensive hotels and that's all in those differences are there just in the same ski area um, but Jim if you want another resort that's got a McDonald's Chamonix um in it, then Chamonix. Yeah, you took took, took that away from me. Um, Chamonix is completely different than most resorts, and it's also my personal favourite resort at the moment. Um, it's got, um, I think it's got something something for everyone. I think it's there. just pr- it's like um, it's like Bozelle or something like that. Yeah, worryingly, I can also you've got a McDonald's in uh, Megève, and you've also you've got oh, yeah. a McDonald's in Bourg Saint Maurice. Well, now, now you're proving me right. You're, you're basically saying that all resorts are the same because they've all got McDonald's as well. <laughs> no, I'm just tripping that in for those who are really desperate to have McDonald's in a ski resort. <laughs> it's really, it's really does, important. Uh, does Bourg Saint Maurice count as a ski resort? Um, I've I've stayed um, there three times on holiday. I count it as a ski resort. I think it, I think it counts as part of the Les Arcs ski area as a satellite village. Yeah, I, I have taken a booking to uh, to Bourg Saint Maurice before. Yeah. It's uh, so so yeah. I, I... Of course, if you agree or disagree, you can tweet us at the ski podcast or email us on the ski podcast. Um, sorry, email us on the ski podcast at gmail dot com. Um, now over to Ian, who's going to talk about cake. Oh my gosh, myth busting. We wanted to come up with a couple of ideas for uh, myth busting, and one of the myths that I've always is uh, uh, burned me up is that that cake that you get when you come home after a, a day of skiing. I really think. It's a bit of a waste of time for the chalet staff to be baking that cake every day, mainly because uh, it's a psychological thing for the skiers. Imagine you're out there on the mountain burning up and burning up loads of calories. And you always see those surveys saying, oh, you burn up loads of calories when you're skiing. But uh, I did a a small amount of testing on it, and uh, my data suggested 
that you haven't earned enough to stuff yourself full of cake when you get back home from a day skiing. That is a big shame because I am a big fan of the cake. And sometimes I worry at Apre that I'm not going to make it back in time before someone eats all the cake. <laughs> and do sometimes you actually decide to cut your day skiing short so that you can get back, so that you can make sure that you sneak in an extra bit? Um, definitely, if I know, I'm with a greedy group of people. I think also I, uh, I base it on the cake in the morning. You've got to know what it is, otherwise, you know, if it's upside down pineapple cake, meh. <laughs> Someone else can have that. If it's if it's going to be nicely iced, though, you know, um, carrot or coffee and walnut, maybe something like that. You 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 may actually finish skiing early to to make sure you get a slice. Um, definitely carrot cake. I probably wouldn't even go skiing to be honest, mate. Right. Okay. Just sat there yeah. waiting for the host to cook it. I think, uh, you know, when, when I looked at it, the way I did my test was um, I used a heart rate monitor and I uh, skied myself. I was out for over three and a half hours. And according to the heart rate monitor, in that time, I burnt 355 calories. So that's less than 100 calories an hour. And if you actually looked at it, so much of the time we spent just sitting on lifts going upwards rather probably, than actually... Probably uh, in another chocolate bar. <laughs> but you don't... <laughs> You don't burn up much calories at all. And I was skiing on piece, so it wasn't particularly uh, demanding. But I set that against uh, a slightly older intermediate uh, skier who um, skied. She burnt 536 calories in slightly less time, uh, two and a half hours. So she was burning around 200 calories an hour. And then when you look, look at those surveys, they sometimes say you burn 350 to 500. So... It makes a lot of difference, but ironically, uh, so to speak, if you're not quite as good a skier, you're going to spend more time skiing and less time on lifts. If you're so the worse you are, skier, the more cake you're allowed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there is a sort of silver lining if you're a rubbish skier. Brilliant. Does, does any of this allow for um, for the inevitable um, pile of chips at lunch? Um, that wasn't factored in. I was looking purely at cake. I was thinking that Shally Star should be allowed to uh, skip off a bit earlier in the day instead of making cake. Well, if you're, if, if the Shallow staff are good enough, though, they uh, they should have the cake done before you've even finished your breakfast. Well, some of them are very, very, very efficient, but they could uh, they could be out the door even earlier. Absolutely. Um, I'm undecided. I can't decide whether I'll just eat the cake anyway. But yeah, it's not as healthy a holiday as we like to pretend is basically what you're saying. And that is what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think my personal choice would be um, ski all day, go straight to Apre, forget the cake, um, <laughs> drink drink till eight o'clock, go back, dinner, wine, bed at 10, repeat the next day. Hmm, that's more that a kind of Austrian model, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Well, there we go. Um, myth busted. <laughs> Um, next up, um, we're going to try out our version of um, Dragon's Den, which okay. I'm going to call Grotte de Guep. Say that it's again. Two... Right. Grotte, Grotte de Guep. Okay. Was that just uh, a, a, a straight Google Translate effort there? Yeah, um, Cave of the Wasps. Right. Oh, the wasps, right. Okay. I was looking for some uh, alliteration, essentially. Right. Um, in this section, one of us will present or an invented or real product for the ski industry for the others to invest in. Um, this time up, it's me. Are you ready, guys? Yeah. Picture this. You've got cold feet in your ski boots and you wish, if only they were warmer. But there's good news. The boot glove 
a neoprene glove that goes over your boot to keep your feet a bit warmer. It's also very good for anal people who really hate scuffing their boots. <laughs> any any questions? Yeah, will, will you still be able to fit your boot onto your bindings with this neoprene glove? Um, yeah, it goes just over the top, so it's more um, a drape than a glove. Right. A faux drape. Is it, is it, uh, does it have a zip on it? Um, no, I think it has like, clips on the bottom. How much, right. how much does it cost? Um, it retails at £29. Right. Okay. What's, do you have a brand name for it? What was it called? Uh, boot glove. The boot glove. Yeah, the boot so glove. it kind of does what it says on the tin, yeah? Yeah, it's um, extra good because obviously it's made of neoprene, so that gets wet really quickly. Um, and so you could have like a really nice frozen cover on your uh, boot right. at some point. I think that's a Will a it good come bonus. in different colours? Yeah, you can have different colours if you like, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, um, it's, for me, it's sounding, um, it's sounding like it could have a market. Um, personally, for who exactly? cold toes, um, but I know I know people that do, um, and it can it can make people really miserable. Um, and you can you can get heated boots now, I believe as well. Um, That's probably a better investment, if I'm yeah. honest. Like another another good design flaw that I factored in is the fact that if you like unclipping your boots uh, to go on the lift, can't do that with a boot glove. Ah, right, because so it goes over. It actually uh, it'll go over the top of your buckles as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, see, it's it, it does. It now starts to sound a bit fiddly, doesn't it? Um, and uh, yeah. all sorts of frustration not, not trying to get your get get your boots back in your bindings and that sort of stuff. Um, I think so. You're saying you won't invest. Is your biggest uh, weakness because a lot of people um, unbelievably choose their boots based on how they think they're going to match their skis and their uh, their ski wear. And unless you absolutely come up with some uh, snazzy colours it's just it's not going to work is it if someone's got a ski boot and then you're covering it up um, and you know, i think there's a bit of a um uh a branding going on as well if someone's invested all their money in a, a nice new technica or nordica or salomon ski boot they don't want to be hiding it underneath this this the boot glove. yeah you want you want everyone the to know glove. that you've spent 500 quid on your boots and um not for, not th- twenty nine pounds yeah, on a bit of neoprene. The, uh, you need to get the cheapest available boots in the ski hire shop, and then uh, and, and then chuck a rag over the top. Yeah, maybe I could brand brand the um, boot glove so it has Nevica on it, and then you could sell them to people to put over their really rubbish hire boots. Ah, oh, right, yeah, that's uh, that, that's a possibility as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm... I think um, probably I'm out on this one. Yeah. Dave, um, can I tempt you? I, I I was tempted for for a couple of moments there, um, but just the uh, just the thought of a twisted, soggy piece of uh, neoprene getting um, getting jammed between my boot and my binding um, sometime after lunch and making me really miserable um, in a lift queue means that I am without any doubt out. Oh, well, there we go. Thank you very much. Um, if you want to buy a boot glove, you can actually buy them. They're a real product, not something I made up. Um, so head online and uh, spend your £29.99. Um, Ian, snow conditions, what are they like at the moment? Uh, they're, they're, they're getting uh, there. I mean, we've had a few new resorts open up uh, in the last uh, week. 
Um, Arapaho Basin in the States uh, opened yesterday, uh, which I believe is the earliest for any resort without a glacier. Uh, so they were skiing there yesterday, and then um, earlier this week uh, they started skiing in Engelberg uh, in Switzerland uh, as well, which, which does have a glacier. Uh, and so I believe in Europe uh, there's 15 ski areas open if you want to uh, go out there. So various glaciers around the place, Teen and Zermatt, Sassfe, uh, Chavinia. So fair bit of skiing, but not really much new snow in the last no. week. No, very little at no. all. However, um, I, Kitzbühel, um, Kitzbühel have opened, a f- that's in Austria, um, Kitzbühel have opened a few runs using snow that was stockpiled from last season. Because um, Kitzbühel, I, I don't know where actually. Do they, where do they keep um, it? I have no idea. Um, some, shed. Yeah, I saw, I saw this as well. There's another resort up in, uh, in Finland yeah. called Ruka. And they did they did the same thing. So they they got snow from last season and they put it, apparently it can last if you put it under sawdust and tarpaulins through the summer. And then as the temperatures uh, drop, they just unwrap it and then use peace bashes to spread it around and there's enough to open up slopes. And both uh, Kitzbühel and Ruka and Yalo, is that how you pronounce it, in Norway? Yeah, have, uh, okay. have done that as well. That's incredible. I never knew this. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some googling um, about that as soon as we finish. Um, it's almost. Go on. Sorry. Well, I was just gonna say I think they've also um, they've also used um, tarpaulins to um, try and cover over some glaciers in a few places. Yeah, well. I saw. I did see that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's almost time to go before we do. Um, I'd just like to say um, if you are listening to this on iTunes, make sure you review us. Um, if you'd like to contact us with feedback, we'd really love to hear from you. And we might even read some out. Um, you can tweet us at the ski podcast or email us on the ski podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and another thing, Ian, um, you're going to go and see someone next week. Um, is that right? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to see a few people. But one of the one of the events <laughs> I'm going to is a Q&A with Graham Bell at uh, Chelsky, which is the uh, uh, indoor yes. uh, ski slope. Uh, in Chelsea in London and Graham Bell is going to be there doing a Q&A about heli skiing and other such things. One of the questions that we will definitely ask is how they managed to film that opening sequence uh, for Ski Sunday, which I suspect a bit of digital trickery is involved, but we'll find out the truth for that. But um, yeah, um, I'll be seeing him and wanted to open it up and see if anyone wanted to ask us any questions on behalf of the podcast. Uh, my question would be, um, does he ever worry that the fate of the ski industry rests on his shoulders? Because <laughs> he's the kind of leading go-to man uh, for the ski industry for, for yeah, TV. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I doubt he worries about that. Uh, that would be it. It doesn't need any sleep over it. Yeah. What I'd um, Graham Bell will be a he'll be a guy that's um, skied probably almost everywhere. Um, I'd I'd like to ask him um, if if he could only ski one run for the rest of his life, what would it be? Okay, that's a good one. I'll ask him that. And if anyone listening has any um, questions, you can, like I said, contact us um, uh, on our Twitter or email. Um, Thank you very much, Dave Froome, for joining us. We will see you next time. Um, We'll probably be reviewing the ski show. This is the Knowledge is Powder Ski Podcast. 
Music is by 3FX, Purple Planet and Ben Sound. The podcast was produced by Jim Duncan. <laughs>